in the epistle of Romans today, Paul's epistle to the Romans. I won't tell you a chapter just yet because we'll be all throughout the book of Romans, or at least the first half of the book of Romans. There is uh, little to no debate that Paul is the, the author of the epistle of Romans. Paul, whose name was once Saul, the man who was the, the once great persecutor of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the grace of God became Paul, the man who was now the great or was the great pastor and missionary and evangelist of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can read of his conversion in the book of Acts chapter 9. Paul is writing to new believers who were converted at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. These believers traveled back to Rome and began to share the gospel and how God had supernaturally moved on the hearts of his people on the day of Pentecost. As a result of the evangelism from these new believers, many more people came to faith in Christ and the church of Rome or church in Rome was born. Now, in Rome, there were no apostles to help guide these new believers. There were there were no shepherds there to pastor them. And Paul gets word that there are believers that are growing in Rome. Therefore, Paul writes this letter and with the primary purpose of writing to these new believers to essentially be their pastor from afar. He would also send co-workers that he knew were faithful to help the church grow in their understanding of their newfound faith. You can read of that in chapter 16. Paul writes to teach the new believers the great truths of the gospel. And if you are in the book of Romans, you will see how Paul begins to explain the gospel to the church in Rome. Here's how he introduces the gospel to the church in Rome. Romans chapter 1, verse 18. These are new believers. And this is how he introduces to them the gospel that they have now believed in. He says to them in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. This is the way in which the apostle inspired by the Holy Spirit, introduces the gospel to new believers. He gives them first, as we say so often in this church, the bad news. The bad news is this, that man is sinful in all of his ways and that we are enemies of God. He gives them even more bad news concerning their condition in Romans chapter 3, verse number 10. None is righteous or no one is righteous. No, not one. More about our condition, no one understands. More about our condition, no one seeks for God. And even more about our condition, all have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat, our throats, are an, empty, are an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp. Is under their lips. Their mouths are full of curses and bitterness. They, their feet are swift to shed blood. And the paths and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace you and I have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. 
This is a portrait of sinful man apart from God. This is who we are apart from God. Paul goes to great lengths to establish what has already been established. This is no new teaching in the book of Romans. It is all throughout scripture that man is wholly depraved by nature. This is the bad news. This is what men do not want to hear. But glory be to God that there is good news. You cannot have good news without there being some bad news. Glory be to God. This is not the end of the story. Verse three or verse or chapter three or verse twenty one. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. Although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, who God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time. So that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. This, my brothers and sisters, my friends and visitors, this is the good news. That God humbled himself and became a man. Being found in human likeness and not thinking that the glory of heaven was something that he must cling on to. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Why? So that he might become the propitiation or substitute. For who? For you. For me. Or for those who have placed their faith in Christ. Those whom he foreknew or foreloved from the foundations of the earth. Those who would come to faith in the God man. The Lord Jesus Christ. And trust in his perfect life. In the place of our imperfect life. And trust that his perfect death was died in the death that we deserved. We are guilty of sin and deserving of the wrath of God. But Christ, thank God, took the wrath of God on our behalf or on behalf of his own and absorbed that wrath of God so that those who place their faith in him would be saved. Or receive salvation. Saved from what? The wrath of God. He became there. Our propitiation. Our substitute. Brothers and sisters. Christ did not only die. But Christ was also raised. Amen. Amen. Acts 2.24 says. God raised him up. Loosing the pangs of death. Because it was not possible for death. To hold him. Christ rose from the dead, conquering the power of sin and of, of sin over life, over sin and death so that those who trust in him will have life and no longer die. He conquered death. Death no longer has its sting because death has been conquered by Christ. Apart from Christ, death is our end. Apart from Christ, we are hopeless men because Death is our end. But in Christ, Christ has conquered death. Therefore, for the believer, death no longer has any potency, any power. 
And there's also a promise of life for us. First Corinthians 15, 55. Death is swallow up, swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death, where is your victory? Death has been conquered by the one who overcame death. The Lord Jesus Christ. And he conquered the grave. Therefore, you and I will not be resting for eternity in a box. We will not be gathered up in an ashtray when we leave this earth. No, we will be as believers bodily resurrected and present with our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. Yes. Amen. Amen. First Corinthians fifteen twenty two. for in Adam all die. Even so in Christ, all shall be made alive Amen. for those who trust in Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the good news. And this should give us great cause to rejoice. And as these words are spoken, they are a reminder of what you have believed. They are a reminder of the, of the, of the truth that you have come to know, the good news that you have come to know as the gospel. These are the truths that you may have come to believe and you may have come to accept as being true. Yes, yes, yes. And understand this, that that belief in these things, the belief that you have in these things, the faith that you have placed yes. in these things is a gift from God as well. Yes. Yes. For without him giving you the gift of faith, you are unable and unwilling to believe apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit in your heart. In light of these great truths, in light of these glorious truths that you have just heard, I have just a few questions for you. Then. And your responses to these glorious truths ring deafening right now in light of the questions that I'm about to ask you. Because in light of these great and glorious truths... Why do many of us live and even, as I am seeing, respond as if these truths have not been made a reality in our lives? Why do so many of us, upon hearing the way that you are rescued from death to life, sit there as if you have not been rescued? From death to life. As if this is not good news. And I shared with you the bad news. I, I understand your response to the bad news. But I am baffled by your response to the good news. You grew up charismatic. You know how to say amen. You grew up word of faith. You know how to say amen. Why do so many of us chase after other joys as if they will give us peace and they will give us joy and not the good news that you just heard. It is, it is like we chase the wind as if the wind is able to give us something that we do not yet possess. We will quickly, as I even say this, I can feel the defense of you rising up and saying, I have faith in Christ. My lack of response has nothing to do with my faith in Christ. We'll even stand up and say, I'm saved. And many of us will even attempt to explain the time, place, and even hours, maybe even second. Yes. When it all occurred. That's right. And your faith may be true. Right. Your salvation may well enough be secure. Amen. 
But it isn't, isn't it ironic that in spite of the confessions of faith that we so passionately hold, to, hold on to, and the possession of faith that we so passionately say we have, we so often live as so-called Christians with no peace and no apparent joy in our lives. We will dogmatically defend our faith. We will dogmatically defend our salvation. We will even pull out our saved card. But we live as people who have no joy and who have no peace. Some professing believers are some of the most miserable people to be in the presence of. Why? Because there is no apparent joy in their lives. And each time they open their mouth, all they have to talk about is all of the defeats that are happening in their lives. And they become a scent even to the believer of death. When as the believer, you are supposed to be to the unbeliever, a scent of death, not to the believer. You are supposed to be a scent of life. And when you come around, you are Pepe Le Pew. You stink of death. Because there is no joy. And there is no peace. Sitting with, or actually listening to, G.K. Bill yesterday. He said we have misplaced longings. And the phrase rang so true. Not in me thinking about other people, but in me thinking about my own self. Are you cold, my love? Can you turn that up, please? If you're listening on this uh, sermon uh, podcast, my love is my wife. Make sure that's clear. Misplaced longings. And I began to think of myself, where are my misplaced longings? I have misplaced longings. I long for a house in San Francisco. I long for 60 degree weather all year long. I long for the multiplicity of five star restaurants on almost every street that you drive on in San Francisco. I long for a diverse city. I long for a city that does not have a church like our city on every street corner. And I long for the endless opportunity to reach unbelievers there. Notice how that's at the end of the list. What have I done? I have made San Francisco and all that comes with it an idol in my heart. It is the thing that I long for. And I have made it where I find my joy and where I find my peace that is pure idolatry. She will tell you the disposition of my face changed when we reached the bay. It was as as if somehow there was some kind of mystical air there that gave me peace and gave me joy. I didn't care if I had to stay in the hotel all day long. I was in San Francisco. Where are your idols? Where are your misplaced longings? The things that you believe will give you joy. The things that you believe that will give you peace. What are the circumstances that you long for in belief that those perfect circumstances... Will give you the joy and the peace that has so swiftly evaded your sinful little hearts. I would like us to look at the fifth chapter of Romans to find out where God says our peace and our joy are found. 
Paul will be used to speak to us on this issue. And in the next five verses, we will see a heavenly reason for peace and joy and an earthly reason for peace and joy. Romans chapter five, verse number one. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, you should know that the word therefore is always connected to what has previously been said. And this case is no different. Paul is connecting his arguments, especially those found in chapters one through four, where Paul established that we have been justified or made right with God. Declared innocent, justified, made right with God, justified, made innocent, declared innocent. How? By faith in Jesus Christ, our salvation, our justification are not based upon anything that you and I have done. They are a gift of God by his grace. We have been justified, declared innocent by faith in Christ. If you were declared innocent, then you must have been guilty of something. That's right. What were you guilty of? Yes. Paul explained it in Romans 1 through 3. You were guilty of sin. You and I, again, born in sin, pursued sin, would not have, would not have stopped chasing sin if it were not for the grace of God. To take our hearts of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Amen. We stood guilty before God. Amen. Apart from Christ. Amen. But God. By his grace has declared us innocent when we place our faith in Christ alone. Sola fide for our salvation. Paul then points to the results of our justification. Saying this, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen close. Paul said, since we've been justified or since you have placed your faith in God, you have now been declared innocent with God. Therefore, we have present truth. We have what? Peace with God. Or let's just deal with the first word peace. Who is it connected to or with who? God. Paul did not say wait for peace. Paul did not say. That if you have enough faith, peace will come. Paul did not also say, let me give you seven steps to peace. Rather, Paul said, since we've been justified by faith, the present truth, we have been justified. You are presently declared innocent before God. We also presently have right here, right now, peace and peace with God. Peace is not afar off. Peace is not in the distance somewhere. Peace is not in San Francisco. Peace is not in a perfect marriage, as Pastor John was so perfectly saying this past Wednesday. Peace is not in the perfect job where all your bills are taken care of because of my job. It's not in your perfect child. You have no perfect child. Peace is not when you retire. Peace is right here, right now, presently yours in Christ Jesus. Peace is now. Peace is yours. Peace belongs to you. He has given you peace through faith in Christ alone. There are blessings that we as believers must wait 
to receive, such as glorified bodies. That is afar off. That is in the future. But peace with God is established the moment you place your faith in Christ. Amen. You have peace. Amen. 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 The peace that Paul is talking about, listen close, is not a feeling. It's a fact. If you're searching for feelings, then you might as, go, might as well go back to your old life. Because you found better feelings there, did you not? You sometimes lay in bed and think about those feelings, don't you? But did they give you peace? No. You were relying on a feeling that gave you no peace. You were relying on a substance, on a person, on a place, on a thing that gave you no peace. Which is why you come to Christ. And your, our confusion is, now I come to Christ, I'm going to have better feelings. Well, how many times have you woken up in the morning and not felt like you were saved? So what must you do when that happens? Go back to your unsaved state? No. You trust in the fact that you are saved. You trust in the fact that you have peace. You trust in the fact that you have been made right with God. Therefore, thereby you have peace. Let us go back to the bad news for a moment so that you can know why you should have peace or why you do have peace. Because apart from Christ, every human being is at enmity or conflict with God because of our sinfulness. Meaning this, apart from Christ, we are enemies of God. There is no peace there. There is only war. So in the old world that you used to live in, you thought you had peace, but you were actually at war. God was your enemy. And that war does not end until God chooses to save that undeserving rebel, you and me, from the conflict and give us faith to trust in Christ. Until then, every person who is not a child of God, every person is not a child of God. You can read about that. John 8, 44, Romans 1, 18, Romans 8, 7. You were in a war. You had no peace. Again, you thought you may have had peace. You may, may have even thought you were a child of God, but you were a tri- child of Satan. That's right. Apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. But God. But God. Yes. But God. Yes. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Yes. Even when we were dead in our trespasses. Hallelujah. Made us alive together with Christ. By grace. Yes. You have been saved. And Paul says in Romans that because of the grace and faith you have, have, you have, you must remind yourself of this. You have peace with God. So regardless of how you feel, regardless of how you wake up or on which side of the bed you wake up in the morning, you have peace with God. Regardless of your economic status, you have peace with God. Regardless of your health status. You have peace with God, regardless of your marital status, married and not happy, single and not happy, uh, dating, not whatever that may be. If your faith is in Christ, you have peace with God. Through faith in Christ, our war with God, listen, has ended. Think about that for just a moment. You know how happy we are when we find that the troops are coming home because war is now over. 
God brought you home to himself. And you were on the other side. You need not search for some elusive feeling. You must simply trust in the fact that he is yours and you are his. And listen, brothers and sisters, bring your feelings under the subjection to his word. Or under the submission of his word. So that when you don't feel, you bring out his word and you read what is real. Oh, your feelings are so unreliable. Your feelings are so deceptive. That's why you must not always trust your feelings, brothers and sisters. So Paul, in light of this peace, is going to give us a reason why we can have joy. Now can you turn the air on? I'm hot. I'm sorry. 73, please. Paul is going to give us first a heavenly reason for joy and then an earthly reason for joy. Listen to the first. Number one, the heavenly reason for joy. Verse two of Romans chapter five. This is the heavenly reason for joy. Through him. We have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Through him. Who is him? Jesus Christ. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. In Christ, we have been given peace. And we have also been given, listen, access to grace. To be given access to grace is to be given access into the state of grace in which you and I are now invited to come to God's holy throne as his children. Boldly, it says in Hebrews, to receive mercy in time of need. It is that grace in which you and I presently stand. Listen, you were saved by grace. You have been brought into a state of grace. And you presently stand in that grace. What is that? The Bible says in Romans 6, 14, sin shall not have dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. You are no longer under the penalties of the law because the penalty of the law has been taken by Christ on your behalf. You now stand and live in a state of grace. It is grace that covers you each time you sin and repent and trust that God will help you to put to death the sin that so often tugs at this mortal flesh. The unbeliever does not live or stand in that grace. When they fail, they continue to just fail because that's all they know is fail. When you fail, you get grace. You stand in grace. You live in grace and you call out to God for grace. And because you are his, he gives you grace. Amen. 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 Because of God's grace, we are accepted by God. We are secured by God. We are preserved by God. Do you realize the result of this grace? The result of this grace is that he will keep you, perseverance of the saints, he will keep you to the end. So that in the end, yes. the Bible says in Romans 5, 2, yes. we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. Yes. So that in the end, you will yes. be exalted or glorified in this body. So though you fail, though you fall, you are given grace to preserve you until the end. And then when the end is over, you are given a glorified body that is not infected with this sin. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Paul said, we rejoice. 
therefore, in hope of the glory of God. Rejoice, meaning to exult, jubilation. It is the excess of joy possessed by the soul who is saved at the thought of your future inheritance in Christ. So you're standing in grace. You're living in grace. God's going to preserve you by grace to the end. And then you meditate on your inheritance in Christ. And what should be the result? Joy. Joy. Joy is your response. Rejoice. Rejoice. Now we know we are never to boast in ourselves. But when it comes to our salvation, there is no reason for you to hide your joy. Because of your future destination that is yours in Christ. God will keep you to the end. He preserves you to the end. And you will be glorified in Christ in the end. And you have no joy. This is a hope that is now yours in Christ. And it should be doing nothing less but producing joy in your life that is unmatched by anything the world can offer you. All other joys of the earth are, are they're earthly, they're fleeting, they're fading. They're like the, like the Bible says, they are like the dew. Our lives are like the dew that is here in the morning and then fades when the sun rises. That's right. The joy, the source of joy that we have is found in Christ. And that joy is secure. That joy is sure. Listen, we should be. The most joyful people on the face of this earth. That's right. Joy that springs from faith Amen. in Christ Amen. is called the joy of our faith. In Philippians 1.25. Listen to this now. In Philippians 3.3 3, and also Galatians 5 and Philippians 3. They say that joy is a distinguishing characteristic of a believer. I'm going to say that again. Joy is a distinguishing characteristic of a believer. Meaning, if you are a believer, one of the characteristics that distinguishes you or identifies you, marks you as a believer, is your joy. It's one of the fruit of the Spirit. If you have faith, but have no joy, then who in the world did you put your faith in? Because faith in Christ produces joy. Now, what does joy look like? Is it a constant smile, a skip when you walk, a pep in your step, a giggle to yourself when no one's watching? They may think you're crazy. But it may very well be that. Listen, it may very well be that. It may very well be a constant smile because you smiling about something that is yours. It may be a pep in your step because it has given you an extra bounce of energy in your day knowing that this is not your home. Amen. It may very well be a constant giggle when no one is looking or maybe even a giggle when you're thinking to yourself. And they're going to ask you, what is making you so giddy? Now, for some of you, or they, the outside world may think, oh, you're in love. And you can say, I am. You're very right. I am. It may be those things. But more than that, it's your outlook on life. And it's your outlook on your eternity. 
Do you know where you will spend eternity? Do you? Then why do you spend so much time worrying about the here and now? How much? How what's which is longer? The here and now, or eternity? I told the men at the race. There was an example that was was shown a long time ago, and it was of a a cord that the minister brought onto the stage. And the cord was maybe 20 feet long or maybe longer. And the minister said, this little spot is your life. This is where you right now live. It's where you work. It's where you uh, make food and so on and so forth. This is your life here on this spot. And he began to stretch out the rest of the rope and he said, and this is eternity. Why are you focused and stressing out over this one spot? And it hit me like a ton of bricks. This is not my home. And my reason for joy goes beyond that little spot. And your reason for joy goes beyond that little spot. It's in Christ and Christ has secured the rest of that rope for you. In the end of his li- at the end of this life, our eternal hope is in Christ. And it cannot be taken away from you. Why? Because nobody but Christ has given it to you. Amen. And he has promised that those who are in the Father's hand will never be snatched out. Hallelujah. Amen. If our true joy is found in Christ and we have no joy, then we must not really understand the depths of what has taken place at our salvation. Right. Listen to Martin Luther, his commentary in the book of Galatians. Listen to what he says concerning this life. There must Needs be fully and perfect joy in the Lord with peace of conscience, which most certainly thus thinketh, although I am a sinner by the law and under condemnation of the law, yet I despair not. Listen, I die not because Christ lives, who is both my righteousness and my everlasting life in that righteousness and life. I have no sin. In that life and in that righteousness, I have no fear, no sting of present life and the the righteousness thereof as a child of Adam. Where the law accuses me, death reigned over me and at length would devour me. But I have another righteousness and life about this life, which is in Christ, the son of God, who knows no death, no sin, but righteousness and life eternal. By whom this, my body, being dead and brought into dust, shall be raised up again and delivered from the bondage of the law and sin and shall be sanctified together with the Spirit. His outlook on life is, yes, I'm going to fall, but in Christ, I have not fallen. Yes, I'm going to sin, but in Christ, there is no sin. Yes, Yes, I'm going to, to leave this bodily earth, but I go to another. Who is Christ? Yes, yes. Romans five two says of the glory of God, and this is a twofold meaning that God bestows glory on His people when they enter into their rest, mm. and it is to the glory of God. Mm. It is a truth that we cannot even fathom right now mm-hmm. that we will receive a glorified body. Listen to this: your future body is one that will not decay. 
I see my poor sister uh, uh, Ellie over here holding her chin. She's got something going on there. There will be a time, sister, when there will be no pain. Where your body will not decay. It will not grow old. It will not tire. And most importantly, it will not be infected with this disease of sin. Oh, don't you want that? Aren't you happy about that? You should be happy. You should be rejoicing. Don't look to the body that you go to the gym. And I just look over to Patrick. Sorry. Don't look to the body that you go to the gym. You flex in the, in the mirror. Those muscles will fall. That which is raised will begin to slowly fall. And there is no amount of time that you can spend in the gym that will cause it from gravity taking place. But there will be a time in heaven. Where there will be no decay, no decay. There will be no gravity of our body. There will be no decaying of these mortal bodies. And there will be no infection of sin. Brothers and sisters, rejoice Amen. because of that. Amen. God, rejoice. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Yes. So, God, through the pen of Paul, has given us a tremendous reason to rejoice in the future. Yes. Right? The things that we will inherit... I can gather that many of you are sitting there and saying, that's great. But what about now? What about right here, right now, where I live? Because this seems like an eternity to me. Here's your earthly reason for joy. It's going to sound difficult, but gather. Romans 5 3 not only that so I've given you a heavenly view of, of why you should rejoice not only that but we rejoice in our what, hold on a second that does that say no maybe I'm reading from the wrong version Patrick not only that but we rejoice in our blessing no mine mine says sufferings yes. does yours say sufferings yes. how in the world did that word get there Tony Not only that, not only do we rejoice in our heavenly future, but we rejoice in our present day sufferings. Paul, you a madman. He's pointed us to the things that we obviously I saw some hand claps. I saw some nodding of heads. I saw some some smiles even as we talked about our inheritance that is ours in Christ in the future. But then Paul flips our world upside down because he points to things that we would not necessarily consider something that we should rejoice in. Suffering. It is almost as if God gives us a glimpse of heaven that is ours, but not yet. One that we can see and we understand why we should rejoice to him and then points back to earth where we live and says, and also rejoice in your suffering, in your disappointments, in your diseases. Yes. Yes. Rejoice in those two. Wow. Notice we do not rejoice for sufferings. No. Not in suffering. We don't rejoice for them. We rejoice in them. We rejoice in them because we understand what God produces through them. 
We don't rejoice because of cancer. We don't rejoice because of heart attacks, abuse, or death. We rejoice in them. And acknowledge that the presence of those sufferings will not steal our joy. Because their presence or their absence is not our source of joy. Christ is our source of joy. Whether the, the suffering is here or whether it's not here, I have joy. Whether the trouble is here or it's not here, I have joy. Because trouble is not my source and absence of trouble is not my source. Christ is my source. In order to, re- to rejoice in sufferings, though, we must see suffering through a godly lens. Seeing that God is working something through these sufferings that will be for His glory and for His honor. It is only, it is only in knowing that these sufferings will produce great effects. And that they, listen to this, and those sufferings have been appointed by God. They're not random. God has allowed them. Where is your amen? You must read your you must read your scriptures. God has allowed them to do what? To increase our joy. We think that when they come, they're coming to deprive us of joy. But God is allowing them to increase our joy. How in the world? Will they increase our joy? Why don't you ask Joseph that? Who through his pain and through his suffering and through his betrayal and through his prison time, in his innocence really, says you meant it for evil. But God meant it for good. You ask Job. Who had it all. Family, possessions, you name it. And by all outward accounts was an innocent man besides of his depravity. And yet God allowed Satan to come in and do what he does best. Steal, kill, and destroy. And at the end of all of this, Job not cursing God, but blesses God. Blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. And God at the very end gives him double. Oh, they are not coming to deprive our joy. They are coming to increase our joy. What do they do? How do they increase our joy? Why is God using them? What is he using them for? Romans 5, 3, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Suffering produces endurance. This is a point that you should know well. It is a point that you should never lose sight of. And if you forget this point, you will be like, you will end up like the wandering Israelites. Who never entered their rest. Because they never knew their God. And they never knew how God uses pain for, his, for our good. Yes. And for his glory. Hallelujah. Through suffering, God is building up, listen, your ability to endure. Yes. He is creating endurance by the means of suffering. Listen to this. If you're not a fight fan, then just listen to the point at the end. There was a fight recently between... a. a a UFC fighter by the name of Chad Mendez and another fighter by the name of Conor McGregor. The main issue after the fight, McGregor won. The main issue was Chad Mendez did not have a long enough camp to prepare for the fight. He did well in the first round, but you can see toward the end of the first round, he was starting to gas out. He was getting tired. 
did well in the second round, but by the, by the middle of the second round, he was so tired, he was absorbing punches that if he had had a full training camp, he would have been more prepared to deal with. The point was, Chad Mendez was not expecting the fight. He was a fill-in. He took the fight on two weeks' notice and tried his best to get into shape so that he can fight for the fight of his life. At the time he was given the call to fill in, he was sitting on his couch, drinking God knows what and eating God knows what. You, my brothers and sisters, you will not receive a two-week notice to let you know that a fight is coming your way. The fight will not even knock on your door. It'll break into your house. It'll hit you when you least expect it. And will you be in good enough spiritual shape to fight? Will you have enough word inside of you to defend the attacks of the evil one? Will you have spent enough time on your knees in prayer to be able to defend and fight off the one who comes at you like a roaring lion? That's right. The Bible says in Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that, so, that, that clings so closely to us and let us run yes. with endurance the race which is set before us, looking to yes. Jesus the perfecter of our faith, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, yes. and is seated at the right hand of God. Yes. Yes. Paul says affliction, it works endurance. Amen. James says that affliction works patience. So that the trying of our faith produces steadfastness. So the effect, the result of our affliction is patience and endurance. And let me just say as a side note, you won't know that your faith is the real thing until your faith is tested. That's right. Amen. You won't know that your faith in Christ is legitimate until all the things that you think are supposed to come with your salvation are taken from you. And all you have left is Christ. Amen. And you cling to the foot of the cross. Yes. Yes. Your faith must be tested. Or you will not grow. You cannot hide from, from tests. You can't run from them. You run to them. And they're going to run to you. And when they come, you run and meet them head on. Amen. If this is a test, if this is a fight, then let's fight. I, I, that's the only analogy that I can give you. For those of you who know that kind of language, then, then take that kind of language. Because you're going to need to fight as a believer. You're going to need to fight for your, for your salvation. You're going to need to fight for your children. You're going to fight for your family. Yes, you yes. need to fight for your church. You need yes. to be a fighter in this thing. Yes, yes, I love yes. the, the analogies that Paul uses. Yes. And it is said that Paul was some kind of short, awkward looking guy. But he uses so many different analogies yes. concerning athletics. Yes. He says, I don't, I don't fight like a man who's beating the air. He's talking about shadow boxing. I'm, I'm fighting a real person. That's right. He says, I don't wrestle with flesh and blood. Greek Roman. I mean, he's just bringing up all. He, he must have been the original UFC uh, person, uh, ideological thinking of. Yes. I can see a fighting of all sorts of different styles. Yes. Anyways, um, you must fight. Yes. You must fight. Yes. 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 Romans five four. 
Listen, and we're going to finish now. And, and endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Listen to character. Character has been translated as experience. My dad used to say character is who you are when no one's around. Character has also been translated as proof. Think about that word proof. Proof of what? Why would endurance prove anything? Proof of his work in you. And proof that you are the real deal. Amen. That's what it produces. The end result of the fight is that you're the real deal. That's right. That you've come out of that fight, even though it may have been a difficult fight and you're still standing. Amen. Proof of a person who's not a real fighter is that they begin to cower. They begin to cover up. They take a dive. And they say, I no longer want to fight. Well, you're not a fighter. Right. You don't have the grit in you to be a fighter. You need to find something else to do because you're not a fighter. Proof of a real fighter is a person who takes it and keeps Amen. taking it and Amen. stands when it's all over and Amen. said and done and says, I'm still here and I'll go some more if you want to. Amen. Amen. You're the real deal. Even though you might get beat up, yes. Yes. your victory is in Christ. Yes. 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 Think about this. How does it feel when you obey God? When you know you did the right thing? Yes. How does it feel? Doesn't it feel good? Doesn't it feel like when you go through a trial and you're still standing and you say, God, thank you for keeping me through that. Amen. Don't make you feel like yes. I'm the real deal. Yes. Praise God. You didn't turn yes. back. You kept trusting in Christ. Yes. You didn't go to the other side and, yes. and say, I'm done. Yes. And at the end of that, you realize, God, you are working in me. Amen. Amen. Listen to this, fighters. There is no retirement for you, though. The retirement that you have is only when you are promoted to heaven. That's, right. Amen. That's when you're done fighting. So you may get better at fighting. You, you may get more experienced. You may understand the tricks of the enemy better. But you will never stop fighting. That's right. That's right. Romans 5, 5, and we are done. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has, who has been given to us. Listen to this. Your hope now in heaven, your hope that you have while you're here presently on earth is not an empty hope. Amen. And you will not be disappointed. Yes. The hope that you are placing in Christ will not end in disappointment. Now, what? there are other hopes. I said at the race, some of you are hoping to win the lottery. <laughs> and you buy tickets every week, hoping that you'll strike it big. And every time you scratch and you lose, you are disappointed. Some of you are going to be disappointed for the rest of your life until you stop buying those lottery tickets, saving those $1 bills and putting them in the offering basket. I'll just say that on the side. That's a side note. No, your hope in Christ is secure. All the things that we've talked about concerning our heavenly rejoicing, our earthly rejoicing, will not end and disappointment. And you have a promise from God's word. On the day of retribution, we will be satisfied. We will be we will receive the object, the person that we are anticipating, namely Christ. As Piper says, namely Christ. One point that is important to note and that Paul is making clear that this future effect of hope in believers, this present effect 
It means something that you don't have to wait for. It's yours now. Joy is yours now. Peace is yours now. Suffering, they are producing things in you now. Be reminded of this hope, brothers and sisters, each time you are tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Be reminded of this hope each time you are tempted to turn from your walk with Christ. It is this great hope that should propel you to share your faith. It is this great hope that you have in Christ that should inspire you to tell others about the joy and peace that is yours. Because the Bible says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. God loves you. Those of you who belong to him, he loves you. John 3.16 describes just how deep his love is for you. That he would give his own son for you. He took our hearts of stone and through the Holy Spirit has given us faith to believe. Therefore, dear friends, know that peace is yours. Don't seek it outside of Christ. Know that your joy is in Christ and that your hope found in Christ will never lead you to a disappointing end. Know that the present sufferings that you experience are being used to produce joy inside of you. So this morning, I welcome all the saints who are members of his local body, who are members of this local body to come and listen, bring your sin. Bring your shame. Know that this suffer is being used by God as a means of grace to remind you of the one who's conquered sin, death. And the grave on your behalf. He's given you peace with God through his sacrificial atoning death. And he has given you much reason to rejoice this morning. Has he not? Christ, our mediator, has ended the war between you and God. And brought you near so that you can now approach the throne of God to receive mercy in time of need. We need mercy today. We need mercy from our merciful God who elect elected sinful rebels to be adopted as his own. This morning, we fellowship with the one who has called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So would you come this morning and fellowship?